Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. As you know, I'm your host, Lance Ecos. If you don't know, well, now you know. I appreciate you. If you're a regular, welcome back. If you're new to the show, welcome to the family. Today's guest, her name is Renee Urbanovich. She is a longtime voice coach and creativity instructor in Los Angeles. She works with hundreds of students per year doing private group sessions, workshops, and seminars. She is also a writer and just released her newest book, The Creativity Connection Conundrum, where she talks about why we are creative as humans. This was interesting because we talk about creativity, we talk about voice and how people lose their voices and why it's important and what's going on with their energy inside to cause them to lose. Lots of cool stuff. We, we, we had a good jam session in this one and I had a lot of fun with Renee. So listen to this right till the end. As always, subscribe, leave us a review. It's a fun episode. I love you guys. Appreciate you. Sit back, relax. And Renee Urbanovich is coming right up. Renee, how you doing? Hi, Lance. I'm great. How are you? Really good, really good. Glad to finally connect. Yes, it's been a little bit of a wait, but I'm uh, <laughs> happy to get in with you. Yeah, I really like your glasses, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, it's time for new ones, so I think I'm going to go with those really <laughs> cool circular ones that no. are both gold and silver and white. They, they, they're a trio of colors. I know a, a lot of people aren't watching the video on this, but it's audio, but I just thought I'd say that because I always appreciate nice glasses, so... Uh, thanks. <laughs> awesome. So really excited to have you here. And you got um interesting story, which I'm, I love talking about. And it's about creativity. And I'm really excited to dive into that and, you know, why that's important and why, where that's going in today's world and with everything. But before I get into that, I would just love to kind of hear your backstory a little bit. Okay. you know, and take us as far back as you feel is relevant and would love to get to know you a little bit. Great. Thank you, Lance. Well, after listening to your podcast and hearing everybody's stories and how much they've overcome, you know, I don't think of myself as anybody that's overcome that much because, you know, I was raised in Burbank in a very creative household. My mom was a, a seamstress and a costumer and a sculptor and a painter. And as a result, uh, my entire family is super creative. My brother actually builds robots for um, like Disney and he worked for DreamWorks. And so he's a creative robot builder. And my other brother is an author and an artist and an animator. And my sister's a gardener and a chef and a photographer. And I turned out to be a singer and a writer um, and a poet mostly. Um, that's my favorite genre. So uh, my dad is a builder too. And um, you know he can sculpt as well. So we just had a really wildly creative household, but I never even knew it. It was just, it was just is, it just was. So then when I got very busy as a mom and in church and doing potlucks, I, I just started to wilt and I really didn't know why. <clears throat> Pardon me. So I actually decided to go to school and study creativity. But one of the things I wanted to tell you when I was listening to your podcast was um, that um, I actually had a double set of nodules on my vocal cords at 15. Hmm. And so I uh, was not able to sing um, and become professional unless I had surgery. 
So in the very beginning of my career as a singer, and I was really passionate and I loved singing and um, I thought I was gonna go Broadway. Uh, I had to go to the doctor and I got to meet um, Dr. Hans von Leyden, who was the man who discovered the stroboscopy. And I was just thrown into kind of um, the clinical aspect of singing at a very young age. So I did become a teacher. So the story with that is that instead of um, letting it stop me and you know deciding to try something else, I've made my living teaching people how to sing and not wreck their voice. So it's exactly what you guys talk about at the University of Adversity, um, where I'm, I became a wounded healer and um, it, it, I can help people with all kinds of issues and um, it's just turned out to be my career basically. So the one thing that could have stopped me didn't. Very cool. That's like, so that's, how much of a problem is that with people though? So set of nodules, can you explain that a little bit more? Is that just damaging it from too much or, or what, what causes that? Because I know Tony Robbins has like a has, cause he's done so much yelling and mm. like speaking and, mm. and he's got like really bad vocal cords. Is that the same sort of thing or is. Yeah, yeah you're right. When yeah. you hear, when you hear, um, a scratchy tone quality with someone, whether they're a singer or a speaker, a teacher, a telephone person, um, that scratchy sound is hoarseness and it's the little white blood cells running to, to kind of protect the folds because you've been bashing them together, either coughing because you're sick or um, just slamming them because they get a little swollen and then you have to push really, really hard. Right. So when you're healthy, they can come together uh, in a straight line and be smooth and like satin. Ah, but when you're hoarse, it sounds like velvet, like ah, 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 ah. So you have to push really hard and yell. And so, you know, people like Adele have had to have surgery because um, she's a big belter um, and she doesn't really consider taking lessons to change the way she sings because she loves pleasing her audience. So she's, I think she's gone under the knife twice. And so if Tony Robbins did kind of get some vocal training, maybe he could shrink down the swelling and shrink down the, um, if there's nodules. I mean, I'm not going to diagnose him. <laughs> yeah. But you're exactly right. You sound hoarse. You have to yell all the time. It's frustrating. It's, it's taxing. Right. And it's got to be something that's pretty common among speakers and singers. And you must see it all the time. I mean, how does, how does one not develop that though? I mean, how come some people get it and some don't? Or is that just a thing that happens from doing it over and over again? Well, you know, there are, there's you know, body types. Some people can scream. I mean, if I screamed at the dog one day, I was hoarse for two weeks. Huh. But some people can scream all the time and they just don't get hoarse for more than a few hours. Then they go to sleep and they wake up and they're fine. So oftentimes, like babies, they can cry and cry and cry and cry for four or five hours, go to sleep, wake up and keep crying. They don't lose their voice because they're actually learning how to get their apparatus to do it. Well, they know how. We're born knowing how to do it. So they can scream for hours and not get hoarse because they're not doing it um, inefficiently. They want to call their mom from out into the fields, you know, as she's out there. So that's kind of a whiny sound. So there's a proper way to do it. But with the demands of pop music and musical theater, people are wanting to sing higher and higher. And so they're actually thrusting too much energy and it actually has too much resistance and pressure on the vocal cords and you can either get like a polyp which is like a, a blood vessel will burst or you can get a polyp from coughing it's like a pocket of water like a blister 
And then the nodules are like um, calluses from overuse, but um, like, man, don't get me started, Lance. Sorry. So overuse, misuse, yeah, and um, uh, they, they behave the same on the vocal cords. They can only take so much. So, but it depends how delicate your vocal folds are. Some people are just, you know, they have iron cords and that's not me. So, and mm. some people get injured, just like some people have bad backs or, you know, they carry their tension and then everybody's so different. So. Right. Very interesting. I don't, you know, you don't hear about that very often, but that's definitely an issue. Like you don't hear about people actually about the process of fixing it. And I find that really interesting because yeah. If you're constantly, say you're a coach in sports, you're yelling or, you know, you're a, you're a public speaker, you're going to be, you're going to be having to deal with these issues, right? Yeah. And it's probably more common than, than most expect. I think it's pretty common. My, my partner is a, a professor and the days that he lectures for six hours, you know, I kind of want to take him, you know, into the studio and give him a little vocalize and some steam and you know, a little evening of primrose to take down whatever irritation. Um, but he always bounces back. But then as you age, you, you lose, you know, you lose some of your closure. And you can tell when someone's sick, like you, or someone who's not a vocal expert, you can tell when their voice drops that they might be depressed. And you can tell when they talk um, kind of with flabby chords or something mm. like that. They're at a deficit. The voice really is an indicator of your internal world. And that's what the world hears. So for me, I was hoarse. Um, I hate to say it, but I was literally hoarse for 24 years. Um, mm. But I was still a voice teacher. So I taught with swelling on my cords. But I was hoarse for spiritual reasons as well, because my creativity was really blocked. Huh. Um, and I was trying to please everybody. You know, everybody goes through that in their 30s. You don't know who, you know, you don't know who to please. And when you have four kids and a partner and, a, you know, a church body and, you know, students and, a business, then you, you don't take time for yourself. But when I finally had the maturity to take time for myself, um, I rested my voice. I hired a, a, a co-teacher and a substitute who I still work with to this day. And within six weeks, I had a better voice than for the 24 years. So it had to do with my internal development that I was still hoarse and damaged on the outside. You know, and, mm -hmm. and sometimes you get attention for being hoarse. Like people think it sounds sexy because you're you know, you're grovelly like Demi Moore. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all of the swelling is an indicator of, of so many other things. So I love that. I, I love that I went through all of that and that I can meet my students, especially the ones in their 30s, and really help them through some of that integration from the internal to the external. I like what you said, and I, I find that interesting how it, it kind of represents what's going on inside of you from that moment like if your voice is your voice is a representation would you say is your confidence or how you feel because i know when i'm feeling off my voice even when i hear it on my my show i'm like i didn't sound as 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 energetic that day or whatever it's very interesting to think like hmm, what was going on that day right? you're right so you've huh. sensed it yeah you've sensed it yeah. and you know yeah. it could just be physical half the time you know if it's not this regular thing it's sleep because your membranes need when you sleep they they replenish the moisture so you could just be dry but um yeah if you're sad and depressed and your chemical you know your brain chemistry shifts when your serotonin is off and when you haven't had oxytocin then you know your your brain chemistry is going to shift and 
just like any teenager's little voice is changing, right? A little girl or a little boy turning into a man. Those hormones affect um, the swelling and you know, just, just a change in hormones affect the vocal cords. Everyone knows that. So another time that it happens too is like during you know, midlife and menopause for women. Um, yeah, it's a huge indicator. So you're onto it. Like you know, so maybe if your voice is hoarse for three days in a row, you can sit yourself down and say, what are you trying to tell me? What, what, what am I missing? Where's, where's my blind spot? Um, because the more intuitive you are uh, and the more connected you are, the more you're going to notice those things. Uh, some people don't even notice. So you're already a step ahead of most of my students. So how does one work through that then? And let's tie this together with, with the creativity. I really want to get into that as well because, okay. yeah, so first of all, before I, I don't want to wait, sometimes I will load the question up too much. How does one work through that? On, on like a daily thing. Like say there's lots of people out there who have their own podcasts and like myself, you know, I do four or five recordings in one day sometimes and I'm just yap, yap, talking all day. You know, mm -hmm. how, does, how does one apply that to kind of get through those days when your voice isn't projecting what you want it to? Okay, there's, I'm so happy you asked. This is what I do all day, every day. And I'm so happy you asked. And Lance, it is so attached to your creativity and so attached to your internal realm. Mm. But you know, as you said, most people don't even, you don't even hear about this. I don't write articles on this. I write articles on creativity, but this is um, my 35 years of expertise lives in literally in the two little vocal folds right here and how to maintain them and make them happy and keep them happy. So what happened with me, the, the, the thing that really helped me aside from hiring a sub and resting. So number one, rest. That's the most important thing. When you start to feel irritation or where your folds aren't closing all the way, like they, it feels like two magnets, you know, like they, they repel each other. You know that feeling when two magnets won't touch? Mm. Well, um, when your vocal cords won't line up, you kind of feel that, ah, and you feel like clearing yeah. your throat, but there's nothing there. There's no phlegm, but they won't close. So you think something's there. Um, it's, a, it's, um, it's an intuition. You can tell there, there's something there, and then you start clearing your throat. So number one, rest. Number two, stop clearing your throat. There's nothing there. Number three, steam. So if you use your voice and your voice is your main tool, you know, if you were an athlete, um, you'd have good shoes, right? Uh, if you were a runner and if you were, um, I don't even know, if you were a baseball guy, you'd have, what do baseball guys have? <laughs> no, a back brace? I don't know. Um, you would have the tools. And so a, a, a singer will have a steamer. And if you can't afford a steamer, you just boil a pot of hot water you put it on the table under a towel, a towel, then the pot, then a towel over you, and you tent it, and you, and you steam for 15 minutes, and it shrinks whatever irritation you have. Within 10 minutes, you will have a brand new set of vocal cords, and you will feel like a million bucks. Wow. That's number three. And then number four, if you have so many demands on your vocal cords that you, you can't rest, you know, um, uh, you can buy something called Evening of Primrose, which is a natural little gel cap that helps you take down swelling. And especially women, if they're singers and speakers and they're on their cycle, that much swelling can af affect their high notes and their middle notes um, that require nuance. So, um, and then the final thing is vocalizing. And um, I can send you a vocalize, even if you're just a singer, I mean, a speaker. Um, vocalizing is like going to the chiropractor and they pop your, you know, they crack you, they crackle you, and they pop your spine in where it needs to be so you can go out for the whole week and, and be aligned. 
vocalizing aligns your chords in a healthy spot because mm -hmm. once you're a little bit behind the eight ball, they don't line up and they, they do weird things like your eyes. Sometimes if you have one weak eye, the, the, the strong eye compensates. We're, it's such a magical system that your vocal cords will try and compensate for whatever swelling is there, either by wow. yelling. So all these bad habits come. So, you know, do those things like rest and, oh, and hydrate hmm. and then vocalize. And if you don't know how to vocalize, um, anybody can just, you, I have stuff on my website. You just, you do a lot of things like gee, 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 gee. And it pops it in with the right amount of air and the right amount of resistance. But you should always rest if you're, if you're hoarse. So, and then the spiritual approach for me, if, um, if you came to me and you were like, I'm a podcaster and my voice has been hoarse for three weeks, I don't know what to do. I'd say get a journal, um, a little tiny journal, and you can do it in your phone um, and rate your hoarseness each day um, and each time of day. And so sometimes it's as simple as you're eating maybe too much gluten and you happen to have a very slight allergy to it and your cords and your sinuses get swollen, something super simple, or dairy. But sometimes it's because you overused your voice at you know, Magic Mountain or Disneyland or during your podcast. Um, so then you start being aware. So you keep a journal and you rate your hoarseness one to five, five being super hoarse. And you start, being, uh, you start having a meta self where you look down on yourself and you're in charge of your voice and um, you're not gonna get any attention for being hoarse which is sometimes you do get attention like oh, i'm working so hard people hear it they know you're you're you know <laughs> you're an ass kicker but you know you don't want to be behind the mm. you don't want to be at a deficit so you rate your horse and then you do a little journaling and you uh you explore maybe where you're not paying attention to your voice and um one of you know how people practice gratitude yeah you can practice gratitude with your vocal cords and um, my voice therapist joanna kasdan she had me pretend, you know, she did this whole visualization where I walked into a room. And I mean, I was young. I was like 35 years old. And so I was like, ew, this was so long ago. Like it was just too kooky hippie for me, mm -hmm. but it was time and I needed to implement my internal world. And she got me there. So she made me walk into a room and lay hands on the walls of the room. They were my vocal cords. And she wanted me to tell them, thank you. Thank you so much. I love you. Thank you what, for what you brought me. Just this really intimate relationship with my vocal cords. And then I was supposed to apologize to them for damage, for not taking care of them. But the initial damage was not my fault. It just happened because I, I was wrecking my voice and no one stopped me. But then the 24 years that kept going is because I wasn't caring for my voice and I wanted to tell them I was sorry. So there's visualizations you can do, journaling. And then, of course, always the vocalizing, um, groaning and whining and just attaching your true self to the tone that the world hears. Hmm. Just groaning, hanging upside down, weird stuff like that. And it's just kind of miraculous how it, it fixes you. I've had students come to me and within, within a week, they're completely fixed. Yeah, you're getting more in tone with your with yourself. You're being more mindful with it, right? It means you're just connecting with it more, which is totally it makes sense. It does, doesn't I it? I mean, it's like doing yoga with your vocal cords. Or uh huh. Right? We do one exercise where we stick out our tongue, uh, and I always think, a, I should have a jewel on my tongue because I do it all day. 
And B, it feels like yoga for the tongue. Yeah, it's, interesting. It's stretch it out. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so happy you asked all that. I never. Get <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 interesting <laughs> because I, like, that's just such that's something that I would never talk about. And I mean, it's so interesting. I think like, I I've had this issue where I always clear my throat since I was a kid, and it drives me nuts. And it's always been once I do it, like the <clears throat> I do it all the time, and then I keep doing it, and I don't know why, but once I do it once, it like bothers me and then I keep doing it. So I was just curious as to like, is that what we're talking about? Or is that just like, yeah, that's exactly it. So right now I haven't heard you do it. And that's because you're mindful um, because you're on, on mic, right? Mm -hmm. So you're being mindful and you're, it's not happening because you're, um, you're present. You're in the moment. And if you do feel a tickle, you're, you're going to bypass it because you're, you're focusing on, you know, my voice and, and your voice and your audience and what we're doing here. But sometimes it's a tick and you're, cause you're not being, you know, you're not being present. You're not being mindful. And maybe it's an indicator that you might be nervous about something. And so obviously the first thing you would do is count how many times you do it in an hour and, and be mindful if you allowed yourself to do it and then see if you're nervous and mm. see if it's a nerves behavior. And then, you know, through meditation and visualization, Sometimes um, you really can cure a tick. So if it really does drive you crazy, you know, I guess, you know, the Buddhist way is to embrace that tick, embrace that cough and say, what are you trying to tell me, mm. friend? I, yeah. I'm sorry, I've been telling you to knock it off. I, I want to be friends with you. Well, it, it's, it's also like the, the it, it could be the dairy thing too. Like, I just need to pay attention to more of like when it comes on. It's been one of those things that once I started, it's like, oh no, like, I don't know. It's a weird thing. Anyway, before I go off on too much of a tangent on that. Um, but, but Lance, give it a, give it a test week, a, a test week. Don't yeah. have any uh, dairy cheese or dairy milk and just have like almond milk mm -hmm. and almond cheese so that you don't feel like you're suffering mm -hmm. and then, and then see, and then take out gluten too and just have gluten free stuff and just see if this to see, yeah. if it produces less snot, less phlegm, less gunk, mm -hmm. Um, cause it is a culprit, you know, dairy is a culprit. Your body wants to reject dairy. Mm -hmm. Um, even those of us that were raised on it, um, it's, it's still one of those things that may or may not belong in our system. Yeah, for sure. And like the mucus, it can form. And it's the worst thing you can do is have dairy when you're sick too, cause your body's trying to get rid of stuff and it's like mucusing up. Right, right, right. I should have uh, said mucus instead of snot. Sorry. Well, whatever. That's, that's all right. I mean, people are probably like, Oh, okay, but that's all right. <laughs> oh, well, that's the way it goes. You know, that's the truth. I'm sure we all, we all go through that and it's just reality of it, you know, and it's just being aware of, of what brings that stuff on. And, and yeah, so I want to, before go too much on the mucus route, I want to tie, <laughs> I want to, <laughs> I want to talk about this creativity stuff. So you have a very creative family, right? right and on you wanted to become more creative and I really want to dive into this of like what, like how, why it's important and what creativity is. Like okay. What is it in the definition? What would you say being creative is? Okay. This is such a great question and it's being revisited um, pretty much right now. So in 2006, when I did my research and was working on getting my actual bachelor's degree in creativity, um, there was not one school that would, uh, that had that as a major. So I'm actually working on that right now with, you know, community colleges trying to get classes that are called creativity so that people know what it is. 
people kind of know what psychology is. They kind of know what sociology is. Um, and, and so with creativity, it feels like God, like some people have a relationship with creativity. And so if I tell them what I think it is, they go, well, no, no, I think it's this. And it's like God. It's like, well, you can interpret God how you want. And I can interpret God how I want because it's a personal relationship with this force. So what I think creativity is may not match what you think it is, but um, there's just this new TED talk right now. Um, a, a friend of mine um, who's obsessed with creativity, um, who I met through my artist brother, Nick, his name is Daniel Cape. He just did a TED talk on why we need to extend our definition of creativity. So it's not a simple answer, but in the book that I just wrote, um, I use a metaphor to explain to you what creativity is, um, like an object lesson for preschoolers. I bring in a big pot to my seminars, um, an empty pot, and I liken all the components of creativity, what is creativity to this pot. There's an outside and an inside. There's an external and an internal. And when you really study the pot and what the abstract inner realm of the pot, which is a lot of space is, and then the external concrete side of the pot and what the world sees and how we use it. So creativity has an internal and an external uh, manifestation. And not only that, it starts with an individual and then it impacts the entire society. So in my book, The Creativity Conundrum, after I explain what creativity truly is and why the pot functions to hold all creative acts and all of humanity together, creativity is to connect us. It's to bond us. It's to unify us. It's in our DNA. Once I try and prove that through science and history in our evolution, then I want you to take that worldview and attach it and run your own creative activities through that lens. And I call it being a creativist. Mm. A creativist is someone who's not being creative for selfish purposes, but who understands that they're an activist for the creative force, which is the mission is to unite humanity, not cause dissension. So that's my definition of creativity after years of study and you know seminars and research and surveying and chatting in writing. Very interesting. How, so I've heard this a lot recently and I, I very, I agree with it very much is that the way society is going, it's going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot more demand for the arts and the creative people because there, there, there's just going to be, cause we're creators at heart, you know, and like there's been so many people that have these amazing talents that just don't do them because it's not, it doesn't make them money or they get boxed into this world that we live in where it's like, oh yeah, well that doesn't make you money. So don't do that. But nowadays you're able to cash in on your creativity. You're able to now, people can do things remotely. People can work from different places. People can sell their services. Yeah. Like it's how important and how much you think that creativity is going to grow in our society moving forward. Well, you're, you're right, because your finger's on the pulse. Um, a few years back, I want to say 2011 or 10, Daniel Pink came out with a book called um, Why Right-Brainers Will Take Over the World. <clears throat> and he d discusses exactly what you're saying, that all of this um, logical sequential um, coding, because you know, we're coming off the heels of Via Coder and going to computer technology you know, in, in late 1990s and early 20s. 
2000. Yeah. Um, so everybody, you know, that has a, le a good solid understanding of science then goes that way and there's not enough creative um, input. So he wrote that book and now it seems 20 years later that everyone wants to be creative and no one wants to actually do the buildings or clean the, you know, flush the toilet, the pipes. It seems like everyone's in a rush to then make money off their creativity, which is what I address in my book that I understand I, I'm one of those people. It would be great to make money off your creative, your creative acts. It'd be great to be an actor and get paid tons of money to do what you love. But um, when that becomes the goal and you don't make money, then you as an individual have a conundrum. You're frustrated. Mm. And then your relationship with your creativity isn't fulfilling you because you're pissed off because um, you're not making money. And then we have a society full of unfulfilled, unself-developed, artistic, creative people who are the bards. Creative artists are the ones that set the tone for the future scientific discoveries. Mm -hmm. So um, it's kind of like we, we, we skip out of process instead of, and jump to the product. You know, we want to make money and then we lose our good relationship with creativity, which is to understand what it's doing for us on an individual level and what it's doing for society. Did that, did that even answer what you were yeah. talking about? Yeah, it, it, it does. I just feel, how do you think it, how important it is though for even these big companies that they give people the chance to be creative because we don't, we don't know. There could be somebody sitting there never given the chance that could come up with the next biggest idea, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> or in like a group setting, you know, you, you always assume like what happened to me when I was in school for a very short period of time, <laughs> I would, I would, I would not speak up about what I thought because I just assumed that the smarter kids were the ones and the kids that were just getting better grades were the ones that were going to have the best ideas. And that's BS in my opinion. All the times that people sit back and they're like, they're afraid to speak or they're afraid to be creative because they don't have a space for it. Right. How important do you think it is? And like, if you have a business or you have a team that everybody gets a chance to, to kind of express themselves because without that judgment, because that judgment's what's what stops people. I know that's what it did for me for so many years. I was like, oh, I don't want to say that because I'm not that smart guy. You know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's so important, and that's why you know, as a parent, um, you want to give your kids a voice. You don't want them to run the show. But um, in elementary school, um, they're you know, people are uh, teaching to the test right now in elementary schools. Um, which is pretty uncreative, but Sir Ken Robinson, he's from the UK. He has this whole book on creativity and how it needs to be more in, imbued into our educational system. But, you know, uh, if you're not artistic and you don't know how to speak up, um, but you know you're creative, then, that, then you should e eventually reach a point where you can express yourself, which you did. So your development, as far as not giving yourself permission, was maybe you were a late bloomer and um, now you've given yourself permission to have an opinion and have an expression and value your um, input to society enough to spend your time doing it. And so had you not been through what you went through of not speaking up, you may not even have a podcast right now, right? So it serves yeah. you, it does serve you to feel um, like you don't, you can't, and then you grow. So yeah. self-development is a big thing to me. 
Um, if someone starts a novel when they're, you know, 25 and then they never finish it, but they're berated by their writing group for not having follow through and not knowing how to execute a task, a creative project, it's, they will, they will, they just have to grow. Mm. You know, there's, there's a lot of growth that has to happen in an individual to follow through with an idea from beginning to end. So if parents and schools maybe gave people more permission and opportunity to be creative, which all the charter schools, you know, and homeschoolers right now, there's so many are really proponents of creativity. Um, so the public schools, even some teachers are, are really pushing the banner, mm. you know, pushing the envelope and carrying the banner of creativity. So it is in the forefront. I mean, I don't have small children anymore, but I have lots of students. So um, because creativity is a buzzword right now, um, I think it, you know, it does start with, kid, with childhood um, and then you wouldn't be necessarily a late bloomer. My kids, mm. um, we have four kids and the oldest is 31 and they are so creative. Sometimes I just wanna go back and go, what have I done? They're so creative, they just don't live, um, they don't live normal lives in any way. And so when you're the mom, it makes it really hard to be the mom uh, of people that, you know, my one son has traveled for 11 years. He hasn't had a home. He just travels, 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 and he lives his creativity. And, you know, the mom wants to see him every Sunday for dinner. I'm Italian. Yeah. <laughs> Does it work that way? Um, and then, you know, they're just wildly creative. So, because we started young. So when a parent has creativity as one of their, values that they want to pass on to their kids, they, they won't have to find it for themselves um, at 22 or 23 or 24. I don't know. That, that's what I would say. How does, how does somebody start on the right path with, would you suggest just kind of letting the kid try different sports, different whatever they want to try? Like, do you suggest that that's a good way is sort of try everything and see what you like? Because yeah. I, I generally the parent, the parent, I know when I grew up, my dad, like I played hockey my whole life and I loved oh. hockey, but he, he pushed me more in that direction because he loved it, right? And then I grew to love it and whatever, but my brother didn't as much. So I wonder, you know, what's the best way? Is it sort of like, here, here's a bunch of different things. Like what's, and then just sort of go, let them gravitate towards the, the way they go or give them a journal and tell them to write. Like, what do you, what would you say would be a strategy for these kids? I think that, um, we did the same thing. We put our kids, like my, my big boy, put him in sports and he grew to love it. But come to find out when he was finally, I don't know, 27, he never loved it. And he, <laughs> he just did it for us. And same thing with my daughter. She didn't like the pixie haircut that I gave her at four, but she pretended to, so it would please me. So man, is that a really tricky relationship that a child wants to please their parents so much so that they will defy their true self to play a role. So as a parent, you know, I was a young mom. Um, if I were to do it over again, I would be more curious and I probably wouldn't put them in anything until they were way older. Well, we put our kids in softball at like four. What were we thinking? Mm. Now I look back and, you know, sometimes at swimming lessons, they're four years old. They don't want to go. And you go, you're going, we paid. You get mm. get your ass up there. You, know, you yeah. got to jump off the diet and you make them do things. Yeah. So um, I think being more curious and that's a component of creativity. So you, um, you, you be more creative, as, uh, curious as a parent and see where they're drawn and then guide them what their bent is 
And then you don't have to have do-overs when they're 20 or 18 and say, all right, we'll try this. And you probably won't have to try so many things. Mm. Um, and then they'll spend less time trying to please us as parents. Um, but that has a lot of ego involved. And yeah. I know you guys talk a lot about um, the metaphysics in this podcast and visualization and meditation and kind of the metaphysical realm. So Comes when- up every single episode at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I feel yeah. like. Uh-huh. And so, you know, as a parent, you're kind of, um, you're, you're steeped in dirty diapers and cooking and driving back and forth. And there's not a lot of time for meditation and visualization and prayer and all of that. So um, those deep reflections, we need to carve them out and be a society in America that values that. But right now, it feels like we value going from singing to dancing to soccer to the library to the tutoring to the, you know, there's no downtime for these kids mm, yeah. to, um, to even reflect on what they do like or look at the undersides of the trees with the sunlight. So it's our culture. I don't blame the parents. Um, you know, my daughter, one daughter is in Nepal right now and she's like, wow, what a difference. The people yeah. are just so much more relaxed and um, you know, she can just feel her blood pressure going down and you know, she's going to be there for four months just to decompress from, um, you know, working her ass off for a year uh, or so on school. So um, be curious and um, integrate the components of creativity. It doesn't just happen. You know, Time Magazine has the science of creativity out last year. It's a huge thing right now. Read books. I have a little book that I wrote for the Emmys. I got to stuff it in the Emmys bags called Musings of a Creativist. And it helps you just change your worldview from what am I doing today to, and, and how does this affect me to how does everything I do impact everyone and society? Your mm. worldview has to shift, but it does start with your own meditation and your own, um, you know, moments of, of clarity. And That's what I was going to say. I was like, so, okay, for the people listening out there that want to be more creative, you know, what would you say would be your top three tips for being creative? Because I, I mean, I've done meditations, changing my life, gratitude, and I've done a lot of yoga. Like I've done three sessions in the last 24 hours to clear oh my, my God. head. I, just because it, it's, it puts me in such a, a Zen place that mm-hmm. I want to, I, I just want to channel new energy. And for me, that's working. But what other things, what other things, because everybody would love to be more creative. What would be your top three things to kind of, somebody could listen right, right now and, and, just sort of uh, do in their own lives? I don't know if these are my top three um, because um, I don't have them in order, but this is this thing called Google. You can go online and go, how can I be more creative? And and you'll find a bunch of things, but I love exercises. (laughs) I I love exercises because I'm a voice teacher. So instead of saying, how about if you make it sound like this and then they imitate me? Or how about if you make it sound like scarves flowing? I mean, I don't, I just give you an exercise that will give you the right sound and the right feeling. And we do that exercise so many times that when you need it, your body will just capture it and grab it because you've exercised so many times that that tone quality lives inside you. And then when you feel like you need to belt or be passionate, it lives there from the proper exercises. So with creativity, there's exercises you can do. Um, You can just sit, I always say these three because I guess these are my favorite. Um, at you use you take one thing like right here. I'll have a chord. It's just a chord. I can't see it, but here's a chord, right? Uh, and just say, okay, I'm gonna think of 
20 uses for this one chord. So that's divergent thinking. And you just kind of get your oh, brain going. Cool. And then you write down 20 uses for it. Now you probably think there's only two. You plug it in and it brings electricity. But if I needed to hold my pants up, I could cut off the plug from the light and oh. I could put it as a belt. Or, you know, if I, if I needed to, um, I don't know, paint something and, and I wanted it to have, you know, a free flowing effect. I didn't want a brush. I could use it as a paint. 20 things you could do with one weird item. So that's your divergent thinking. And then um, you can also have exercises of correlation, which is your convergent thinking. Um, and so you're exercising your brain and you're expanding your brain. And then there's, there's exercises online where they put the six dots and you have to draw the lines through it, you know, and, and just, um, taking two divergent objects and saying, what could, what do they have in common? What does this book and this chord have in common? We'd have to sit and think about it. Can I think of three things that, that they have in common? So those are exercises to get you to think that way. Hmm. Other things that you can do to get yourself in the state of flow, um, flow, flow state can happen at any time. It can happen when you're ice skating or cooking or painting or playing saxophone or running. And for you, it's that Zen thing you're experiencing when you do yoga. Um, so to get into a mind space with your beta waves and your alpha waves to relax and really connect with something more transcendent. I am not necessarily a meditator. I'm a writer and I like to write poetry, but I also like to stare at nature. I like to stare at grass. I like to stare at the sky. Um, but I'm not a meditator yet. Um, my entire family is trying to get me to learn how to meditate. So it's a game changer. It's a game changer. <laughs> well, and so there are little things that you can do throughout yeah. the day that do put you in a in a present state that will tickle your your brain waves to um, you know be more creative. But for me, I know that you're asking, how can I be more creative? Because you want maybe bigger ideas, or you want that state of flow to live inside of you. But for me, the answer, the main answer to that question, how can I be more creative, is how can you change your worldview to understand that you are part of a whole? The word art means to fit in Latin. Cosmos means order. And so David Bohm wrote a book on creativity. He was Albert Einstein's uh, physicist friend. And he believed that nothing lives apart from the whole, just like one cell of my body cannot be taken out and live somewhere else. All of the cells in my body live to make me, and that's what society is. So all of our activities, all of them, are tending toward how we can fit into the whole. We may or may not know that. So how can I be more creative? Ask myself, um, what if everyone did that? What mm -hmm. if, should I do this right now? What if every single person did that? How would that impact society? Or will this impact me positively, but my neighbor negatively? Um, and just see how connected you are to everything you do and everywhere you go and everyone you meet. Connect. Creativity is for connection. So understanding that, you're already more creative. A nurse following protocol and doing exactly what she's told all day every day may not feel creative, but it's one of the most creative things you can do because you're exercising everything you do out of crisis, you're solving problems, you're interacting with people, you're making them feel important and cared for. So it's the idea of creativity that has to maybe, the definition maybe expand a little bit. 
um, to where you realize, oh my God, everything I do is creative. I am, I am part of something greater than myself. And that's a good feeling. For sure. So where can everybody find you and give us some more tips about your book or more insight in your book? Okay. Well, thank you for asking. Um, I, I just told you the whole book. No. Um, the book is called The Creativity Connection yeah. and the connection is crossed out. The Creativity Connection slash Conundrum talks about two cool. problems in society, which we already talked about, um, not understanding what true creativity is and feeling frustrated um, because you're not using your creativity for your you know, income or you're not, you think you're not creative. So it addresses those. It's a theoretical book. It's very inspiring. When you're done with it, you feel like you just feel part of the human race, part of the evolution of all man, humankind. It's a very uplifting book, but we do dissect some of the problems that we have in America. So you can get that on Amazon or you can go to my website, which is reneeurbanovich.com. And if you already feel the way I do and we're kindred spirits about creativity, and its lack of connection or its need for connection, you can sign up to be a creativist. Um, and you just go on uh, my website. There's another website um, too, not to confuse everybody. It's called creativityadvocacy.com. And you can become a creativist and it keeps spreading the word that we are all united and nothing is isolated. And then your creative acts can actually be more impactful as a creativist because you're recognizing and you're, you're stepping outside of yourself and making a proclamation and a declaration to do it for the whole. Awesome. That's great. You're, you're very good at explaining it. So thank you. I appreciate it. We'll have all the information in the show notes for everybody to go check out. Um, as we wrap up here, I always, there's always one question I ask, and that is, what is one lesson that adversity has taught you? Well, um, I think right now, because I'm 55, um, I'm just gaining kind of the, the kind of attitude that older women have where I've never had that. I've always been very compliant, it seems to me. I've been, well, I'll go wherever I'm supposed to go. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. But now at 55, I'm learning, no, no, I'm not taking no for an answer. It's, this is not happening. So the lesson I'm learning at 55, which is not, I wouldn't answer that at 35, because obviously it took me 24 years to get healed from an issue, is never give up. If you have faith and you believe something and you, and you know it inside to be true, never give up. Don't give up. Don't let anyone stop you. Um, so when I look back, uh, it took me so many years because I didn't have that chip, um, kind of maybe like a martyr, maybe, you know, oh, boo-hoo, um, or people call it a victim. Um, so just don't give up and, and don't let, let anything push over what you believe is, is right and true and good. Necessary. Very valuable. Don't give up. Don't give up on that creativity, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Lance. Thanks for asking such poignant questions uh, and, you know, surrounding my absolute obsession in life so it's really fun for me and thank you well great i'm glad i can ask good questions it's always tough because i don't want to be scripted but i also want to ask questions so it's a science learning this stuff and i uh, i appreciate it i'm glad that 
I could allow you to, you know, share what you love to share and um, add value to the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. All your, all the information's in the show notes. I'm going to try and say your last name again, Renee Urbanovich. Yes, I did it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Take care, Lance. Thanks. You too. Thank you, everybody. Show some love. Go follow Renee and uh, show some love to the show. We appreciate you. Leave us a review, subscribe, share it with a friend on social media. I appreciate all of you. Have an amazing day. Catch you next time. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.